I'm really excited about this message series that we've jumped into. We started last week in the book of Acts and the subtitle being The Gospel Goes Viral. We talked through what that really means and uh, we talked about watching a video online that may have gone viral, meaning it got millions of views overnight. But I want you to think about it in terms of our modern understanding currently in the here and now. We understand with the coronavirus pandemic that has occurred that there is a virus that is catchable uh, from person to person. Those who are extremely vulnerable and, and that kind of thing, they have suffered the worst. Um, and uh, they've been able to communicate, if you will, that virus to another person and pass it on. I'm extremely saddened to see the news as the numbers tick higher to see that we are fastly approaching the 100,000 mark of deaths here in the United States of America. It is something to take seriously. But the application of just that thought, because it's so current in our minds, can be applied to the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel using that application is as simple as a loving touch towards a neighbor, not a physical one, but an actual demonstration of God's love. The gospel going viral could mean that you share your faith verbally. It also means that you should share your faith in the way you and your family live in the here and now. And more than that, there's another dynamic, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how the gospel went viral back then and how it still has an application today for you and I. So go with me in your Bibles, if you would. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, and the words will be on the screen for you. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. To ask alms or to ask for money of those who were entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Verse 4 says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6 says, but Peter said, I am broke. (laughs) How many of you have ever been there? Say amen. Okay. I am broke. He said, I have no silver. I have no gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And the Bible says immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and leaping and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for money. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
Peter and John, I find it interesting in that first verse there that they, along with the other disciples, they continued to observe their Jewish faith. I want you to get a hold of this this morning. What they used to know in part, they now knew in full because of Jesus coming and being their Savior, their Messiah. But now they're practicing it in all its fullness. They're still going to the temple daily to pray. They're going together. And as they happened to go into that gate, they saw this man begging. And the Lord healed him through the apostle Peter. You know, beggars are wiser than they look. I don't know if you've ever seen beggars, um, seen what maybe a nicer term, panhandlers, standing by that stoplight at the bottom of the exit ramp, uh, holding a sign, asking for money. Studies have been shown, uh, they have been shown that people here in America that do that in places that are big cities like Times Square in New York City and other places, that if you get in a prime location, you can make 200 to $300 per day. That's more than most of us get paid <laughs> per day. So next time you're broke, just write on a cardboard sign and head out to the highway. I'm just kidding. But beggars are wiser or smarter than they may look. Back in those days and even now, in locations all around the world, beggars can be found at houses of worship, churches and temples, synagogues, mosques. Why is this? The reason why they're there is because the assumption is, is that people who are on their way to worship are predisposed to generosity. They already have it in their heart to give. And so they've got this idea that would be a good place to be. Peter and John, though, were broke. They had something that was more valuable than a few coins to help that man. And Peter performed a miracle by the working of God through him. It was not a magic trick. It was an absolute supernatural thing. The Bible depicts this man as being lame from birth and now being an older man sitting every day at the temple. It doesn't matter how old he was, really. He was lame for all of his life. And now, in just a moment, he's healed just like that. In that section of scripture, when it says that his response was not to run home and to tell his mom and his family or to find his friends and tell them, but it says that he went with Peter and John into the temple Leaping and walking and praising the Lord. Witnesses verified that he had been healed. They recognized that this man used to be the man who was the beggar outside of the temple. A miracle truly had happened. Jump to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 verses 12 through 16. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. This is an area in the compound of the temple that would have been a meeting and a gathering place. 
Verse 13 says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high regard or high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The gap between that is two chapters between the portion that we just read in Acts chapter 3 and now in Acts chapter 5. This man who was the first recorded healing that happens in Acts after the giving of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church caused the gospel to go viral. His single testimony caused others to start believing in a God of miracles It says so that two chapters later, people, dozens, maybe even more than that, were brought on their mats and their cots to be laid out in the street because they knew Peter was heading to church and that as he went, his shadow even would fall on them and that they would be healed. Verse 16, it says, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And read that last phrase with me nice and loud. And they were all healed. How many? All. They were all healed. I want to be clear when we read God's word, you should dig a little bit deeper if you don't understand An unclean spirit, you might just think, is a dirty spirit. You might think you've met somebody with a dirty spirit. Chances are you've met someone with a dirty heart, but maybe not with a dirty spirit. It is a thing that happened then, and it still happens today. Another term we would use would be someone who was either oppressed or possessed by the enemy, by God's enemy. So they had given themselves over and they were in the control of the master of darkness. The Bible says that they were laying on these cots and these mats and that as Peter's shadow just passed by, they were all healed. This truly is astonishing. I'm excited that this is in the word of God because it bears truth for us even today. Now, jump with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. It says this, and these signs, this is Jesus talking to the disciples. Each one of the gospels records something, what we call the great commission. It's Jesus' final words to them, telling them what they need to do when he leaves them. And he says this, it's recorded in Mark 16. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues or languages. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Let me be clear before I go much further. You have to be stupid or crazy or both. To pick up a serpent or to drink poison on purpose. Can I get an amen? (laughs) We are not to tempt God's grace by being foolish. 
I used to, when I was little, uh, I don't know what kind of music you listen to or what kind of music your parents allowed you to listen to. And if my mom and dad are watching this today, sorry. Um, but they were extremely devout Christians. They believed the only two forms of music you should listen to. They didn't believe in what we call secular music, worldly music. So we listened to worship and church music. That was one category. But the second one, which they gave permission to have, that was Motown. It was all the Motown hits because that's what they fell in love to. That's what they listened to. It's that old style of music. But in the Christian worship category, my mom was a huge fan of Southern gospel. I have Southern gospel roots in me, if you will. And um, so we used to listen to all of these Southern gospel tapes, okay, back then. And we'd hear amazing songs. And even to this day, I have an affinity towards that. There are times where Amy might walk by and I've got some YouTube going or something. And I've got a Southern gospel song on. It doesn't happen that often. But every once in a while, I just kind of have a taste for it. I say that to say we used to listen to this group that had a tape, not a, a CD even, and they had a testimony on their tracks, on their list. And at the end of the CD, after you'd listened to the worship songs and the performances that they did, you would hear the snake story. It was this group of Southern gospel singers who went traveling and they got invited to a church which was considered a snake handling church. And I'm telling you to this day, I giggle when I hear that story, because just the way they tell it, they walked in, there were boxes up on the stage that had snakes in them. He saw pictures of people in their caskets on the wall, he says, and he said, what happened to these folks? And why do you have these pictures? And they said, well, those are the people who had faith when they picked up to the serpent, but then they lost it. <laughs> Well, no, they're ones who were crazy or stupid or both. Amen. So I say that to give you just a little bit of insight into, yes, there are some crazy people. They might think that you're crazy for coming to this church. Tell them we don't have snakes. We don't have chandeliers that we swing off of. Nobody's dancing their bobby pins out of their hair. This is that we believe in the real gospel truth. When God through Jesus says that they would be able to pick up a serpent or drink poison without being harmed, what he was trying to do was he was trying to instill courage in the heart of the disciples so that they would not live in fear. In essence, he was telling them, you are unstoppable when you're working for me. I believe that with all of my heart, that message, that underlying truth is still true today. That when you are on God's side, God is working for you, not against you, and nothing can stop you. Amen. I love that phrase. The last one that Jesus says in that passage, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. What a promise that is for you and for I even today. So the title of my message, which has been on the screen a moment ago, is We Believe in Miracles. This is not just a method that God used in the past, but it is a method that God presently uses even today. 
I've shared this story before of Delia Knox, D-E-L-I-A. You should look it up on YouTube and watch it. You can actually see, because she was in a recorded service in 2010, you can actually see the moment of her healing. She had been confined to a wheelchair as a, uh, as a result of a car accident for 22 and a half years. Her healing is real, doctor verified. It happened here in America, not too far away, in Mobile, Alabama. She was in a church service and there was a minister there who said that he wanted to pray for healing. And as she tells the story, she had faith for, you know, 19 years, but now at this point, she'd been praying for 20 something years and nothing was working. So she had not even thought that day that she should get prayed for. That evangelist came and prayed for her and healed her. She was a public figure before that. So she had CDs out and things like that. She's a singer who ministered in churches and did so from a wheelchair, but God miraculously healed her. He still heals today. What is a miracle? I want to ask you, what is a miracle? Miracles are this. They're the divine suspension of natural laws and circumstances by our creator. I've told you about the miracle that I saw as a child. My father without a job. We lived in a single wide trailer on the edge of an orange orchard down in Florida, had no money, no groceries. And there was a woman who was filled with the spirit of God. We'd never met her before who was in the grocery store and began to hear the Lord speak to her. I believe he can speak. Amen. He wants to speak to us maybe more than we want to hear, but she was open to the Holy Spirit and she started grabbing children's snacks and she started buying dog food and she started walking the aisles and filling a cart of groceries. A rainy night and a car pulls up. She pulls up to our house to open the trunk to deliver these groceries that God had told her to buy. I believe in miracles. Can I get more than one amen? I believe in miracles. That is the suspension of natural circumstances, of natural laws by God himself. My mother tells the story about a miracle that happened physically with me when I was a child. Had extremely high temperatures, was in the hospital. They were putting me, submerging my body in ice baths in order to get my temperature to come down. They had talked about the threat of brain damage and all of these other things. Don't laugh because some of you might be thinking, well, a little bit still there. But God performed a miracle. The church began to pray and God performed a miracle. My wife has a similar story in her childhood of how God healed her from something that could have caused her to lose her life. But God healed her. Miracles still happen today. I want to tell you a few things about the God that we serve because that helps us. And you say, pastor, you're usually really practical. What are you trying to get at today? Should we walk out of here and start performing miracles? My answer is yes, because they assist with the gospel message. But my answer is also listen to the Holy Spirit. Pray for those who are sick. 
When someone says that they're going through something, whether it's a financial thing, a marriage thing, a healing or a a physical thing, whatever it is, stop and pray for them. Let's not be the Southern Bible Belt people who simply say, okay, I'll pray for you and totally forget about it. Let's be those people that find a quick corner in the office and risk our job to say, let me pray for you. Are you comfortable with me praying for you right now? And don't go he, she, tie my bow tie and all that crazy. Just cry out to God for healing or for a supernatural move in those situations. And I think we'll be surprised at what God might want to do because God is good He's always been good and will always be good. And miracles, that repairing and that healing, that uh, change of that natural circumstance that we may face, gives him glory. So here's a few things about God that you should know. They're big words, so maybe kids will struggle with these, maybe some adults. But these are words you should know. Our God is, number one, omnipresent. What does this mean? It means that he is the only one who is present in every time and in every place. Nothing escapes God's eyes. Our God is with us. You should let that sink in. There is never a place or a time in our history that God is not present. That means he's present when we sin. He's with us when we struggle. He's with us when we experience victory in our life. He's with others all around the world, all at the same time, regardless of what they're going through. He is omnipresent. The second thing about our God that is so awesome is he is omnipotent. This is a big word, but it really means that he holds all power. He is almighty. Our God is over all. If he is truly over all, he can heal cancer. He can make a woman or a man stand up out of a wheelchair. He can fix a relationship that's broken. He can grant a new job. He can bless beyond measure. He is omnipotent, meaning that nothing is too hard for him. We should have that confidence. Nothing is too hard for our God. He has complete and total control over everything. And the third thing about our God is this. Our God is omniscient. This big word, what this means is he knows all things about all things. I don't know if you've ever met somebody like I have. They say they're a jack of all trades and a master of none. Meaning they know a little bit about plumbing, a little bit about electrical, a little bit about roofing, a little bit about, but they, they haven't mastered all of those things. Our God is a jack of all traits and the master of it as well. He knows all things about all things. He knows our history past. He knows what's the, in the present and he knows what's in the future as well. He is not a learner. I want you to hear me. Kids, are you so excited that school is finished? Yeah, that school is, well, it's almost finished for some of you, but finished for others. God doesn't have to learn anything. You can't teach him anything because he already knows everything about everything. So I point this 
statement to the kids in our audience. He knows when you're not telling the truth to your mommy or your daddy. As adults, he knows when we're doing things that are improper or not approved in work that go against policy. He knows when we've been, I hate to say it like this and make it feel casual, but he knows when you've been good or bad. That's not Santa Claus, that's God. Amen? He knows. And that should give you confidence and hope, maybe some caution as well. He knows everything about everything. This is what makes him so incredible. And God performs miracles for three reasons. I want to share those three reasons with you. The first is this. He does miracles in order to demonstrate his power and glory. To prove to those who are watching, who experience the verbal testimony, who hear the story, to prove and to demonstrate his power over all things and that he would receive glory. You're headed down the wrong path if you think, yes, I'm walking out today. I'm going to pray for the first person that I see in a wheelchair in Kroger. They're going to stand up and they're going to give me a big handshake or a social distance, I don't know, air high five. And then, then I'm going to walk around and people are going to know I'm the healer. No, that is not what this is about. When God performs a miracle, he chooses humans to do this at times. And when he does so, he's doing it to show he he is all powerful and all glory belongs to him. None to us, but all to him. The second reason he performs miracles is to bless his human family. You are his human family. Amen. And he wants to bless you. There are some, and I I could do a whole series on healing and miracles and those who doubt them and uh, why they should get doctor verified, which you absolutely should. If you claim that something has happened, you should absolutely have proof to back it up. We cannot risk the gospel's message with a bunch of baloney. It's been risked. It's been at risk over the years because a bunch of kooks have done a bunch of weird stuff. But again, the Holy Spirit is to make you fruitful, not a fruitcake. Okay? So when we experience the miracles today, he wants to bless us. He wants your good. He, he, he desires your good even more so than you do. And the third thing, the third reason is to show his love and his compassion in tangible ways. I love the thoughts that are written and penned by the psalmist in the book of Psalms that talks about the love of God never failing, that his compassion towards us never ceases. Regardless of the amount of sin we've committed, regardless of the amount of failure we've had, regardless of all of those things through and through, God loves you. And he has compassion towards his children. The miracles that we just read about in the book of Acts furthered along the gospel message. They contributed to the gospel going viral around the known world. Word was reaching people in far flung places because they were hearing about what the disciples and followers of Jesus were doing. I love the encouragement in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8. It tells us this, Jesus Christ, 
who is God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. Just like he cannot learn anything because he knows everything, he has no reason to change because he is perfect and holy and good. So he did those things back then. They have not ended. You cannot point to a place in scripture where it says the age of miracles closed with this act. No, he's still doing them even today. So you and I can have confidence that our God still performs miracles today. I think there are two groups of people who don't believe in miracles. It would be the, the first group would be what we would call the rationalist. It's the person who doesn't believe that miracles ever took place. Maybe it's just hyperbole. Maybe it's just he had a sprained ankle at, outside the temple and he nursed it and got a lot of money and was just making some, some money and then Peter reached out and said something and he stood up and walked with him. Maybe that's how it happened and we've got some issues with the inerrancy of scripture if that's the case. But the rationalist tries to rationalize out all the miracles that God has performed so far. He believes that God is limited in his work to natural laws which are known by man. And this simply cannot be true because God is the author of those natural systems and laws. He has the ability to supersede them at any time he wants to. The second group of people who don't believe in miracles would be something that theologians call a traditionalist. It's someone who believes that miracles were confined to an age or a season in the life of the church just so that the gospel would go viral, but then ended and ceased. They never can point to a place in scripture, though, that says that they stopped as of this moment. All they do is assume. I want our church, Celebrate Church, to be people that believe in miracles I believe in miracles. I truly do. I've seen them happen financially. I've witnessed them physically. I've experienced them physically. I know that God still works in supernatural ways. He does it even today. Our daughter Brighton fell from a second story balcony several years ago and walked away virtually unscathed with a really black eye and a little tiny hairline fracture. And that was it. How is that possible? It's possible because God was protecting her, that God was helping us through that. Did she have to go to a doctor and see a medical professional? Absolutely. Did she have to recuperate after? Absolutely. But do I give all credit to the doctors and those, or do I give all credit to God? I give all credit to God. I'm thankful for medicine. I'm thankful for doctors, but I give all credit to God who saved my child. My mother will tell you that story I told a minute ago about myself with tears in her eyes, knowing that God protected her son. And to the day I die, my heart will be filled with faith in any moment I face because I've seen him do supernatural things in my own life. That was a really fat angel that Brighton landed on that day, right next to that hard concrete. That was the scare of a lifetime. 
I'm here to tell you that our God is a protector and a provider. He's a restorer. He's a repairer. He's a healer still today. And he's a miracle working God. Why wouldn't he be? Why would he stop? So be encouraged today that when you face the scary moments of life, God can be with you and walk with you through whatever it is you face. Maybe you've been someone who is a doubter. Maybe you've been the person who's experienced a miracle, but it's been a really long time. And you're facing something that you need God to do that is supernatural. I want to encourage you to be filled with faith today that God is with you. I want to encourage you to reaffirm your faith, believing in a supernatural God that does supernatural things. When someone asks you to pray for them, pray for them then and there. Take that step of faith and simply ask, I'm encouraged by the words of Jesus all throughout the gospels where he talks about when we approach his father, all we have to do is simply ask and our great God, according to his riches in glory and according to his power, which supersedes all powers anywhere else, our God can supply our need, can heal can deliver, can set free, can restore and repair. Would you stand with me today, those of you gathered with us? The gospel continues to advance even today. And it advances through things like what we do. We speak God's truth. We demonstrate his love to our neighbor. We share our testimony of what God accomplished in our life. I was a rotten sinner before Jesus found me. Pastor, you were a pastor's kid. Yeah, the worst of the worst. But God found me. And me sharing that story with others helps them to have faith, believing that God can do it for them no matter where they're at. So I say this, the gospel still advances today as well by signs, wonders, and miracles. And I'm so glad that we believe in miracles. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me today. I don't want to go through a message like this and maybe miss the most obvious thing. And that is maybe you're here today and you say, pastor, I'm actually in need of a miracle financially or in my marriage or with my family or with an issue I'm facing at my job. With every eye closed, I'd encourage you right now to lift up your hand and just say, Pastor, that's me. I need prayer today. There are several hands going up. I believe there are probably those who are watching from home that need a miracle of some sort as well. I want to invite you to believe in God as a miracle working God today. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whose name was used to raise a lame man from a temple gate, whose name was used to cast out demons, whose name was used to perform mighty works in the old days and in the here and now. Lord, we believe in miracles. 
Father, I pray that you would minister and meet the need of every single person that has something in their life that they need from you. They feel hopeless and desperate and filled with despair, but I pray by your Holy Spirit today that you would reach down and encourage them and give them the faith, even as small as a mustard seed, to believe that you still can do miracles. God, we love you and we're so thankful. God, I pray that you would help us to continue to believe in your working of miracles, not just for our sake, but so that this gospel would go viral. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. He's the God of miracles, amen. God.